I'm Preeti Chibber. And I'm Jen Northington, and this is Tar Valen or Bust, a Wheel of Time podcast. The prophecies will be fulfilled, the Aes Sedai whispered. The dragon is reborn. Ah! <laughs> da da da! Uh... <laughs> So as you might have guessed, we are rereading the Wheel of Time books in advance of the TV show adaptations release. We're talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite moments and digging into all things Wheel of Time. And we're actually recording this on January 1 of 2021. We made it. We made it. We finished the first book. I'm, yep. I think I said this last time, but I wish this episode went up at the end of the year so we could start the new year with The Great Hunt, but it's okay. I'm yeah. still very impressed with us that we have stayed on schedule. Yes. At the <laughs> end of a year that in which time had no meeting. Right? Zero. <laughs> like, look zero. at us. We're doing the thing. I don't know. I kind of almost feel like it has a nice symbolic, like it's a bridge from the good things about last year, which is us getting to hang out and nerd out and talk <laughs> about the Wheel of Time and like chat about it with other folks who care um, into the new year. So I'll take it. I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, no, you're right. It's let's 2021. Let's put a positive spin on That's everything. Right. I will. I will be over here sugaring everything. <laughs> Um, so, uh, do you want to talk very quickly about, about this quick note of a new thing we're trying? Oh, yes. So, we have done a very special interview with our musician friend, Brian Dunn, and fellow uh, Wheel of Time enthusiast, about the music of Wheel of Time. And it is going to be up for Patreon supporters. Um, it'll already be up by the time this goes live. And then it will come uh, soon to everyone else. So... Super excited for y'all to hear us geeking out about Rand's flute skills and what we hope to see from the show in terms of the music. And we talk about Tom's guitar and all kinds of fun things. So, Yeah, and so if you don't want to wait the, the few weeks until we put it up, you can check out the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash or bust. Again, we have one tier. Which Just is one. One dollar. That's a dollar. <laughs> We're just trying to pay our server costs, which we've managed to do thanks to everybody. So now it means we can do things like this. We can do things like this. We can hopefully do other cool things in the future. So uh, thank you to everyone. And now for our kind of general squeeing over the fact that we we finished this entire <laughs> book. I can't. I kind of can't believe it, quite frankly. It is... Whenever I thought in the past about rereading these books, I was like, there's no way. Like, there's no way I'm going to have the time or attention to do it. I, there's no way. But here we are. Like, we're doing it. We did it. 782 pages. <laughs> so many pages. <laughs> With tiny, tiny been, font. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been super fun. It has. It really has kind of been fun digging into the text and, like, underlining things and, and putting my notes in the margins which I will never resell these books because my notes are so stupid <laughs> she, she texted me a picture of one earlier today and I do feel like it has to be preserved for posterity for the ages it's, it's some real critical commentary there <laughs> should I tell them what the note go says? for it <laughs> it's like she's underlined a sentence and it's about Perrin thinking about that Lan is an onion. And the note says, 
Lan is Shrek. OMFG. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be another Patreon bonus. I'll share my terrible yes. notes from the margins. We should no. do that. No, no, no. <laughs> we'll no. see. They're secret. They're, They're highly secret. classified, y'all. except for the ones that I just talked about um yeah all right well so today we are covering chapters 41 through the end of the book basically which I think is chapter 53 yeah that's what I've written down I could be wrong yeah 41 to 53 and it is there I was holding my book and looking down and not at our script but you are correct chapters 41 to 53 uh and it is like I know we say this every time but it is wild to me just like just so much like in this 12 whatever 12 chapter section it's like we have five different settings or six different settings or something like that and like so much information and so much action and so just so much happens and again, things that I would I was like, oh, we're gonna have to wait at least two books for that. They haven't already. No, like, in this I, book. Yeah, in this one. It's wild. It's wild. I like I did not think that the ways happened in this book as a just a for example. Like I did not remember that the Forsaken happened in this book. I didn't remember any of the final like battle sequence. Nope. I didn't remember any of that. That was all like reading it fresh for me. And somehow it also is like nothing feels I it, it's like the pacing is so strong that yeah. it doesn't feel rushed, but it it is still surprising to me how little how little actual page time is spent on these like big big things. But they are they still feel very big even though it's like six paragraphs yeah yeah you know I've been thinking a lot about immediacy in storytelling um partly because I'm rereading the Earthsea books by Ursula Le Guin and they have this like they have a little bit of like a gauzy sort of gentle dreaminess about them and I was thinking about how they are like a very classical sort of style of storytelling, even though the ideas in them are really fresh still, even um, however many years since they first started being published. But I think about like, I know a lot of times, and you can tell me if this is, if I've misunderstood this, but a lot of people talk about how you need like first person POV to feel that immediacy, like present tense first person POV is a thing I see a lot of, especially in YA. Um, And there's like an argument around like the immediacy of the experience. But I was thinking about it like this is third person. I mean, it's third person close, right? So we're in whoever's head. So we're, but it's past tense, like, like a normal, you know, standard storytelling style. Um, And it still feels extremely immediate and like you feel like you're in it with the characters so I I just to me that's an argument for like it doesn't take a certain type of POV like you can do whatever you want with any POV that you want to write in or tense even it's just about how you do it yeah I agree with you I think people tend to use first person present tense YA as this idea of like people can't read like people don't have the patience to Mm. read anything that has a little bit more separation and that has a little bit more um what's the word that I want like you have it's not that you have to work for it but you have to wait for it right Uh. and so I disagree with that I think like you said that you can do a lot of strong storytelling if you have the skill set whatever POV you use 
and whatever tents you use, honestly. Like, I think yeah. that capability is there. Um, I think you use what a good writer will use the immediacy as much of a tool as anything else, like, right. and, and use that to make the story stronger because the tents should make sense for the story you're telling. And right. Which is not to diss first person present no. tense. Like I think people do amazing things with that. I read a lot of white literature and love it. Like I'm not trying to. Be no, not... no. I think people yeah. just use it as a way to yes. to speak down to it, right? Yeah. And which right. is absurd because it's yeah. all they're all storytelling tools. Like they yeah. the the tense and the perspective exist for a reason within you know narrative tools, and so whatever it might not be right. a bag that's fine yeah. yes that's right <laughs> exactly exactly um but yeah it's it's you know this starts basically right as everybody comes back together right mm-hmm. like it, my it, very first note is reunited five exclamation marks <laughs> and it feels so good yes they're all <laughs> the gang is back together also side note I feel like my POV rule guess is correct because this is only Rand. These yes. last 12 chapters, you don't get anybody else's perspective. It's all Rand because they're all with him. Mm-hmm. So he gets to be the storyteller. Yeah, you are correct. And and we'll see how, because I don't remember, how yeah. that rule flows through as we get more diverging mm-hmm. um, POVs as the books go on. But yes, yes this was, and it is really fun to see, I love that we're like 10 minutes into this and we have not even started talking about plot really at all. But it is really fun to see what Jordan does with that perspective and how it shifts, like how it, how it changes our relationship to what's happening in the story based on Rand's perspective and what we know and what he knows. Like it's just really interesting and we'll get to that a little bit. But I guess if we just want to like start digging yeah, in yeah. – which is I love I actually really love this first page of chapter forty one with the with the dude sitting outside the Queen's Blessing talking about cats. Oh yeah. <laughs> like in this very amazing, strange sort of cat person kind of way. Like <laughs> just sitting there with the cat, like petting it, being yeah. like, Cats are great. Cats are just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a bro and then but he's a cat bro, Lamguin, the bouncer, mm-hmm. the, the in-bouncer, cat bro. <laughs> like, he'd have a cat blog. Yeah, he totally would. And then it immediately goes into Rand kind of, like, rushing in after this, like, intensive experience he had with at the Queen's uh, castle and, and with Aleda Sedai and all of that. And I love Master Gill's reaction is like, sure, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Sure you did. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. the minute I do, I like this, again, is a testament to how Jordan builds these, like, very minor that we think side characters. Where Master Gill is just, like, such a good dude. And you care about him so much, even though he's just this, like, innkeeper. But he gets these, like, yeah. really, really wonderful moments, right? Yeah. Of getting to stand up to the white cloaks and, like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being like, I will, I will handle this. Like, we are going to get you out of here just because I like my friend. Yes, right. Yeah, we'll figure out. I'll send for the healer. Like, we'll figure Matt out. I'll get you some horses. We'll make it happen. Like, 
And Rand's just like, why are you so nice? Like, you're being so nice. And Master Gill's like, oh, shucks. Like, don't mention it. He's I so know. <laughs> but so, um, there's still this, like, underlying tension. I love the repetition of, like, this man stands at the heart of it, right? Like, having loyal say the pattern weaves itself around you and you stand at the heart of it, which is exactly what Aleda said. And, yeah. and Rand is, like, stuck on because he's like, no, 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 no. Like, the most reluctant of chosen ones. Yep. Yep. <laughs> She's like, I will not. <clears throat> but then we come into this great scene where the white cloaks come into the to the Queen's Blessing and are looking for someone from two rivers. And I love this kind of intersecting timelineness that's happening now because yeah. we know why they're there and we know who they're looking for. But Rand, of course, is like, oh, God, what did I even do? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> You're still looking for me? I just, all I did was stand by and, like, make some words. Like, I didn't do anything. And it's just the assumption of, like, just and it's just one more thing to add to the plate of, like, stuff that's gone wrong. Mm. But, again, like, I just, I love that notion of, like, we're, in this moment, we're in the know. Like, having those moments of, like, interacting with this character who is supposed to be kind of a rube and, like, stumbling along and, like, as the reader knowing more than he does where you're just like, oh, poor baby. It, like, gives you this, like, sense of um, compassion and and you just want for him to get out of this. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then, and then... They're like, oh, people are asking for you. And he immediately thinks it's Aledo or some, you know, terrible thing happening. But it turns out it's well, Lord Rain. Because he says, I never mentioned Matt. And so he knows that it can't be. And then that right. suddenly a huge smile lit up his face and he ran yes. for the kitchens. And I was like, oh, yay. Finally, something good for you after so much bad. Yes. So good. So good. And like we know the relief will be short lived, but I think it's such a like, you know, six hundred and thirty pages in. <laughs> it's like giving him the small moment that he deserves of like I can finally push my problems onto the people who know what's yeah. going on. <laughs> Somebody else be in charge, please. Like it's just really lovely where you have these like moments of relief of everyone reuniting. And, of course, we all know, like, the other shoe has to drop. Like, it's not that easy. You can't just be like, okay, Moiraine's here. She's going to fix everything. Yep. But it is a really nice, like, page or so of, like, oh, they just get to, like, reunite. And, of course, there's, like, the stuff with Perrin that's going on that Rand kind of notices something is off about. And, like, yep. we we know that they have all this baggage with them. But I just, I really like this page. Yeah, it's a good page. It's a good page. <laughs> and then Matt ruins everything. No! <laughs> Poor Matt. Like, I, I love... Uh, what this. Actually, what this says to me is that he fought so hard. He was still able to, like, save his friend and take care of Rand and, mm. like, do the right thing despite this horrible thing getting its claws in him. Like, by no account based on the way Moiraine talks about this dagger when she sees Matt, when she realizes something is horribly wrong, was this, mm-hmm. like, kid. He's, like, 20, 19, 20 years, years old, like, basically fighting against this, like, dark power in, infesting his his soul or whatever. Like, I feel yeah. like it made me like him more because I'm like, you did so good. You did so good for as long as you could. And, yes, you should not have taken it. 
Obviously. Obviously. Snow, Stupid you're right. I just like to tease you about Matt. I know. <laughs> I, I was very grateful to see that he finally, finally is going to get better and be... And be Matt again. Because be he Matt, like, yes, exactly. Horrible things he says, like... Mm-hmm. Oof, the stuff about Nanave is like particularly Ooh, cutting. Yep. And like just digging into those insecurities of like, can you can you be powerful and smart and pretty and and feminine and all of these things and like, oh, it just hurts so bad. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Yep. But you're right. Like the fact that he lasted as well as he did for as long as he did really does tell us something about his character. Ugh. But then it goes like they have this moment of relief and she's trying to heal Matt. But also Moiraine is not one to mince words, right? She's telling mm-hmm. us like this is not going to be easy. Like this is this is like bad news. And they all have this moment of like we should just die. Yeah. I guess I'll die then. Right. And you, it feels, when we're talking about it, it feels very, like, um, chaotic and kind of swinging back and forth between these, like, wonderful feelings and these immensely, like, sad and deflating and and how could we go on feelings. But I, I feel like he does a good job of pacing us so that we don't feel manic while we're reading. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. It's like you said before. It's, they're all, like, the pacing moves quickly, whether it's like plot stuff or feeling stuff or, you know, exposition. Um, but it all feels still really full. And like it, it it's like um, you've set up the dominoes and they all they they connect. They make sense when they fall that they hit the next one mm-hmm. and the next thing happens. Yeah, it's really it's really well done. Um, and like, of course, you're gonna feel despair. Like, you're yeah. One of your best friends is possessed by an evil dagger, and like, there are half men and trollocs outside the city walls, and like, people are gonna die, and it's kind of your fault, even though you didn't do it. Like, they're all after you, and it's like, yeah, obviously, in that moment, you're gonna have some despair. Like, you're gonna feel like, why am I even doing anything? Like, mm-hmm. this is just. It's all too much. Like, we should just not exist anymore. And then this, all these problems would go away, which mm-hmm. is not true. Like, Moiraine is the voice. Of, she's like, it doesn't benefit anyone for you to just give up. Just keep <clears throat> swimming. Just keep swimming. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so basically, Dory <laughs> and Moiraine Sedai are the same. No. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It just doesn't, yeah. I, I like, want it to be a thing, but it's not. It's not a thing. <laughs> not even close. Not even close. <laughs> so let's see, so they get, like, a pep talk, and then Matt comes out and is better, right-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maureen says, like, I can't heal him of it completely, and, you know, maybe if we go to Tarvalin, like, I can do more, but, like, I've at least contained it for a little while. And he, he kind of is like, you you see that he doesn't remember a lot of what happened. Like, he yeah. doesn't, I think the last, like, clear thing is kind of, that's that's what I mean, is like, he doesn't remember all of these things, but we watched him make good decisions, despite it, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that, that, like you said, is like, very, very telling. Um, and then they get to meet Loyal. Yay! And everyone reacts better than Rand did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every well, 
Almost. Almost. Um, oh, wait. I forgot. I wanted to... I have this note here, and I almost missed it. So, Matt and the dagger. So, I had this theory about Matt's point of view that I couldn't talk about last time because yes. it involved... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell so, me. So, my theory is I wonder if Jordan didn't want to write Matt's mind under the influence of the dagger. Like, I wonder if when when we finally get to go inside Matt's head, if he wanted it to be actually Matt. Um, I just, you know, and like, I guess we could have gotten Matt's POV earlier in the story, but it wouldn't really have made sense the way everything else was going. So the only time he could have done it would have been when he and Rand were on the road together. That would also have broken the rule yeah. that seems to be that if you're with Rand, you don't get a POV. But even with that, I just, I kind of wonder if he was like, uh, I don't want to introduce uh, my readers to the inside of his brain when he's like this. Like, I want yeah, them no, to meet a sense. different Matt. Yeah. That makes sense. It makes sense on, on both from like a narrative level and from a craft level and from a character level. So, yeah. like, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Correct. Cool. <laughs> no, okay, it does sorry. it does make total sense because we get to see I I'm very excited for when we get our first Matt POV for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but I also I can't remember at what moment yeah. it comes. So I'm I'm also excited to see like when in the story we get to start seeing things from from his perspective. I would assume it's gonna be in the next book. Um just because how long, how long will you keep this perspective from me, Mr. Jordan, is the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ugh. All right. So, okay, so back to Loyal. They find everybody meets Loyal and is, like, way chiller about it than Rand was for the most part. And it's it's kind of, like, I like that we get to see Matt being like, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like, so sorry. Uh, yeah. But then... Rand then has to relate what happened to Moiraine, who is much more, like, on top of why this is a problem than everyone else. (laughs) But I do love this, like, little aside that happens in the middle of the story when everyone's like, you did what? But (laughs) Egwene... Yeah, I love this moment where he kind of is like goes on this like rambling rant of like what happened and then at the end he's just kind of like I just I didn't do anything wrong I just climbed a wall and that's like that's what I always say (laughs) but my favorite is Egwene Egwene asked in a decidedly neutral voice who's Elaine (laughs) and then Perrin is like oh Remember Aram? Like, you know, <laughs> yes! kind of. <laughs> I love these moments of one reminding us how young they are because, like, yes. this is silly. It's so cute and funny. Mm-hmm. But it is, it's a very lighthearted way to remind us that, like, yes, these are, these are young people who are thrust into these extraordinary circumstances. And these yes. are the things that they are thinking about. Because... Right, right. Because... <laughs> Obviously. The other thing that cracked me up was Moiraine telling Loyal to, like, tell her the thing. But, like, she's like, be brief. He's like, um... I also underlined that. (laughs) I don't know how, but I'll try. And she's like, ahem, briefer. (laughs) It's so great. It is. It's really really nice because it is, again, this tactic that he uses to 
give us context for the world through storytelling and through folklore and through, you know, oral tales or whatever it is. And it never, it just, it never feels like an info dump. It always feels like a very authentic moment. And Mm. because Loyal is the character he is, we get to see that aspect of him, not just to give information, but how it informs his character. Like there's a moment later on where Loyal is like kind of lamenting when they're in the ways of, or or when they're, no, 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 not in the ways, when afterwards, when they're um, moving through the blight, trying to get to the eye and, we're fast forwarding a little, but I just like that you have this loyal who is able to tell this story to these people sitting in this room. And then chapters later, the loyal who is like, there are worse things because he knows because he's read. And Rand is like, I'm glad that he knows this, but I wish he would stop talking. Yeah. Right. Like, so you have it. It's not like it's just this moment where Jordan needs the character to tell a story. It's like, no, this is part of the character. And so it feels yeah. very, it feels very necessary and it feels correct for him yeah. to have that moment in the page. Yeah, no, that's very, that's very well said. That's very true. Um, and they finally tell Moiraine about the dreams. That's the next thing that happens. Yes! It took us 700 pages basically for them to be like, I guess we should probably tell her. Oh, it's so true. And it's, it's, I mean, but right, right. I don't want to kind of gloss over this this undercurrent of what's happening to Perrin that Rand is sort mm-hmm. of noticing but not really understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that there's that moment of like um, we need you to be like Maureen is like you need us you you can be close to me and that will help with protection. Like you need to find protection and and Perrin's like I think I've already found my protection and he's very resigned about it, which Rand does not understand. Yeah. And I just, and so, yeah, then they're going into this this conversation about the dreams and about being seen by Balsamon and all mm-hmm. of these things. And I just think back to Tom Marilyn, and I'm like, Tom, you should have let them tell her. I know. You should have, like, they are these poor kids. Yeah. Terrorized. And right. it could have been eased a little bit because when Moiraine says, like, the minute he comes in, it's easier for him to get in. You're like, oh. Right. <laughs> although, although they have to be near her for there to be any protection. Yeah. And most of them are not near her. For no, most it's of the- true. It's true. But so. but perhaps she could have helped yes. in some way had she known yes, prior, no. prior, right? When they yes. were in Barillon or whatever. The smart money is on telling Moiraine things. But... Always. And, and yet still, like, she tries so hard. I know. This poor woman. Just let her work. Just let her do her thing. And so then they kind of get past the 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 dreams a little bit because she kind of is like, you just have to deny him. Just do not let him in. Do not give him an inch because that is all it takes. You just continually deny him. And then she sort of goes into their plan, right? Like yeah, talking about the three boys and giving us a little bit more knowledge of where her perspective is coming from of the decisions she's making right. with the three of them, like, she doesn't know why it's important, but she knows it's the three of them. The three of them are Tavarin and, and all this stuff. Um, and then she kind of tells us, finally, it's like, we have to reach the eye of the world and we have to talk to the green man. 
Right. And I love that the only reason she knows they have to go to the eye of the world is because of the dreams. Like that piece of information changes all of her. She's like, well, I thought we were going to Tarvalon, but guess what? We're going to the blight. We're going to go find the green man. We got shit to do. It's, it's an immediate turn for, for someone who has been making plans and, and doing what she can. And, it does give us like really great insight into her character as well of like how immediately like she's throughout the book is strong at at thinking on her feet but mm. it's fun to see it like in the moment in action in front of Rand's face. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz so much of her reasoning we don't get to know why. Mm-hmm. Like we don't get to know. But this one we know. I mean, we sort of know. We're like, uh, it's important. She knows it's important, and she knows how to get there. And we're just like, well, okay, I guess we're going. Mm, it's there's just so much good stuff. Like then she starts talking about the ways, which which Woo! poor poor loyal did not know what he was signing himself up for. No, he really, really did not. Really did not. And he's just like, uh, this is the worst idea ever. I'm not super on board with this. I hate this journey for us. What if we didn't? <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, it's funny because they have to tell them what the ways are. And, and I have this note here because we've talked a lot about perspective and we, conti- and we will continue to talk a lot of, about perspective. But Moiraine, again, gives Loyal the floor, essentially. And, and she says, um, it is your knowledge, Loyal. The ways are the only path to safety for us, the only path to forestalling the Dark One, if only for a time, but the telling is yours. And mm. I think that line is kind of distills a lot of what the perspective in this book means and why point of view is so important because Jordan is straight up telling us in that moment, like, it matters who is telling you what is happening. It matters whose perspective you're seeing mm. through. Um because it will affect the story and it will and who gets to take ownership of that moment in time in the narrative is important. Right. 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 So true. Ooh. Right? It's so good. Ooh. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's so good. Uh right. Okay. So and, oh and we get this whole amazing story about um the male Aes Sedai. Yeah seeking refuge in the steading and like there's this question of whether or not it helped or hurt and you know you get this we finally learn more about the male Aes Sedai because prior to now all we know is that like everybody's afraid of them we know that you know the Red Aja I think we know that the Red Aja hunts them down or we at least we know the Aes Sedai hunts them down and like he captures them and we know Loghain is dangerous because he can actually channel and he's a false dragon and blah 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 like they're gonna end the world that's all we know is the bad stuff. Um, so this is a moment that really, I think, humanizes them. Like, they're not just crazy, dangerous, whatever, uncontrollable channelers. Like, they are they were men who were being driven mad by powers beyond their control. And, like, they just wanted to be safe. Oh, it hurts. It breaks my heart. I know. It's But it's, like you said, it's told in such a wonderful way because I love that moment of Moraine kind of being like, there were two perspectives on this, right? There are two yeah. perspectives on the Ogier's contribution to this story. And yeah. I hold with the second that Sanctuary helped to save what could be saved. Yeah. Right? Oh, it's such a good line. It is. It's, it's, a, a, it's a really, really strongly written sentence and so 
like you said, it's it's giving nuance wherein I think a lesser book nuance would not be given. Yeah. Where it's easy to kind of create this binary of good versus evil and, and all mm-hmm. these things and, and bad and good and like women know and men don't and like whatever, which again, we will get to where yeah. that goes later. But in this I'll, moment, yeah, <laughs> I think it's a it was a well done it was a well done uh, moment of exposition about mm-hmm. this piece that has been hovering over mm-hmm. the book for the entirety of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's an important thing to set up because you know stuff that happens later. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, there right. is. I do want to bring up where there there are all these like great things about the ways where they're like this where they're just talking about them at first, you know, where it's like this magical way where you can like get places super fast or whatever. But it's also, there are all these like really great lines about how scary they are. Yeah. Right? Uh, there's so yeah, many. horror. With yeah. like the, the match and shin with the black mm-hmm. wind or like, I love the line of they never laughed again and they feared the sound of the wind. And later on, I, I made a note later when they when they actually experience kind of a piece of what it is of how good Jordan is is creating these intangible fears of like mm-hmm. between the fog um, and the wind of something you can't hold and you can't touch and how do you fight something that has that does not have a strong enough physical presence to fight and that is yeah. I think one of the most terrifying things that you can put and he puts not one but two things in this book that are that thing right like right I had this note too I was like dang like Mashinshin and Mashadar like we have these like creepy elemental disembodied evil beings Mm -hmm. that will fuck you up that are like so bad that other evil things are scared of them like that's horrifying and how do you fight you can't fight that right, you, you can't just fight have them. to run and it's such yeah. like a uh cool thing to put in a book and have it not feel repetitive and have it not feel lazy like they both feel distinct and scary yeah. in their own ways and in different ways yeah. um and so then she kind of goes in it gets a little uh a little bit of a bigger conversation as moiraine is explaining you know this is like I love this this explanation she gives to Ogi, to to loyal of you know we are at war like even she says while the world refuses to believe the dark one may be at the brink of victory and then Rand is listening to this and there's this great moment where he says and the fire in the fireplace and the fire in the fireplace did not give up enough light he wanted no shadows in the room And then there's a parallel, I think, between what Moiraine says here about what has to happen and the conversation that Gandalf and Frodo have. Like, seriously, I think it's really interesting where you have um, Gandalf telling Frodo, you know, when Frodo is like, I wish it hadn't happened. Like, I wish that had not happened in my time. And he says, well, all we can do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. Mm -hmm. And Moiraine kind of says a little bit something, you know, similar where she goes into this thing of like, it's not chance, it's the pattern. You did not choose, you were chosen. That said, the choice is yours. 
And it's it comes down to deciding and it comes down to choice in a really wonderful way, I think. Like, even if you didn't have a choice to be picked, you yeah. do have the choice whether or not to engage. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, and there's such a great moment um, when, like, they are they all get on board, basically. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, they're so, like, they she wants to go to the Blight. She wants to take them through the ways. Like, nobody wants to go. Nobody wants, like, isn't there another way? They're just, like, there's got to be some other way. But, like, nope, we're, like, okay, we're going to do it. Like, we just, like, Nynaeve even says, I suppose there isn't any choice for Egwene and me either. Like, this is... It's it's not even really a choice. Like, of course we're going to go. But it is, right? She says it's yeah. not even a choice, but it is. Because even yeah. Rand tries to say, like, you don't you don't have to go. Right. And they're like, hmm. Yeah. Mm. Kind of we do. Kinda we do, good. though. We're going to go. Like, we yeah. do. Um, but then the minute the choice is made, like, the plans start happening, which is great. Yeah. Like, all yeah. that, like we were saying, like, all that, that whole should, are they going to go is, like, four paragraphs yeah yeah Uh, it's like half a page basically so then they can immediately start making these plans then there is a little aside i really like about this where it's like moraine clearly made most of the plans but they say but she listened to questions and and suggestions from everyone which i love that little note where i'm like yes that's a good leader yeah yeah, she's not some, you know, dictator presence. Like, she's in charge, and she knows more than anybody else about what's going on. And she's got a plan, but, like, she's a reasonable, thoughtful human. She's not blinded by her mission, or at least, like, you know, she's she's very convinced of her own rightness, but she, she can still listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then we get one last kind of triple dream sequence yeah. for yeah. for our guys, which is done in a very creepy way. Like, I like that Balzaman has these little figurines of them, each represented oh. by a thing, right? Where yeah. you've got... I like... I also like how they're described where they're kind of, like, not super carved, not super... But there are pieces of clear detail, like Rand's heron is very detailed, Matt's dagger, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Perrin's wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I also like the idea that Balzaman still doesn't really know which one. So he's just having the same conversation with all yeah. three of them. Like you're just like copy and pasting your, your spiel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. It's like writing a cover letter where you're like, oh, just change the first and the last paragraph. A hundred percent. We're laughing, but it is, it is pretty scary, you know, where he's telling Rand, the contest between us has taken place countless times before. So again, you get this hint of this long history that Rand does not understand. But I think we as readers are kind of starting to get clued in on what might be happening, perhaps. Yeah. Yep. 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 Ooh, yeah. And this and- is the Black Aja comes up and like, oh, oh yeah. So much, so much intense, scary stuff. And then it's immediately followed by this, like, terrifying race through Camelin trying to get to the door and, like, you know, ahead of their foes and not get caught. And, you know, they don't have time. And it's just so tense. It's so tense. And then the way itself, like, entering the way is so scary. It is. But before before we get there, I do, like... Sorry, I know, I love... You know it. I love a close read. I love it. I can't help it. <laughs> As they're getting ready to leave, 
uh, Master Gil, and they have these horses. And I do love that moment with Loyal and horses. his giant horse, where Loyal's like, "I'm not, I, I don't really, do I have to ride it?" Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's a great second where Matt goes over to Rand, and they have this little conversation where Matt's like, "Is Perrin being weird? Is is he being weird?" And then he says, "Don't you see it? Like, I swear it's not my imagination, or." And you realize Matt's having trouble trusting himself. And Rand mm-hmm. realizes that Matt is having trouble trusting himself. And I just, again, I think it's this like lovely little moment of humanization of this thing that a character that we are not getting the POV and we're not getting the perspective of is going through, through Rand's kind of adept understanding. Because mm-hmm. Rand has a really, like as much as he doesn't know and as much as he fumbles through what's going on, he has a very strong understanding of his friends, yeah. which I appreciate because it gives us what we need, even though we're not getting the point of view. Yeah, and it also speaks to their relationship with mm-hmm. each other. Like it builds an amount of uh, intimacy that's like pre-existing, but we see it demonstrated time and time again. Like instead of just telling us how close they are, like we see it, we yeah. see it, yeah. Yeah, and so, yes, then they do get to the Way's entrance, which is this very, like, kind of terrifying thing. And a moment where we get to see Loyal get angry and see the, like, frustration he feels for what has happened to what he considers great work done by the Ogier. Like, what we we see a little bit of of his uh, anger of what man could do to these glorious things that he, he he knows told through story, right? Like, I love when he says, like, all that murdered for this, where he's so angry. Yeah. Oh, and then the ways. Oh, it's so scary. Like, they're going through the thing, and I love the way it's described as this kind of, like, strange mirror hovering, you know, a little bit. Because then Loyal talking to Rand, it's like, you could walk all the way around this entrance, I would not advise it, though. The books aren't very clear about what lies behind the way gates. I think you could become lost there and never find your way out. And you're like, that is horrible. (laughs) Yeah, it's intensely creepy and interesting at the same time. Uh, It's really, it's really well done. Um, it, uh, the the ways themselves though the the entire thing like I don't know how deeply we need to go into like what happens in the ways other than I love I I can't wait to see this on screen like how they do it like I can picture it in my head yeah. really well right um, but also not just the the physical representation of what's going on with just them stuck in this like deep deep blackness I don't. Did you watch The Magicians? I can't remember. You did for like, I, I don't think you. first season. A few seasons in, there's something, there's something with this like mirror world thing that happens. I'm not explaining it well. But representationally, it, it seems like on the cusp of what the ways could become where it's like spots between mirrors, like allow them to travel mm. from space to space. But it's like all blackness and this like one little like kind of road slash column whatever you want to call it um and it's like sort of like that but i think there's gonna have to be like a a weightiness and an oppression to it to against these like tiny little lanterns they're all holding and like and and then when they realize they have to start running and you see loyal getting more and more perturbed and everybody getting more and more anxious and yeah 
like Matt trying to shoot at something and it's just it's and oh and the like frozen Trollocs who yes. are like oh my god oh it's so much it's so much it's really yeah I have notes my notes about the ways are uh like poor loyal being like can't we just chill at my steading like can't we just I know. like because they get they get to certain points where they have to like reroute and they now know that there are like Trollocs behind them or the wind like there's like they see the frozen Trollocs the wind they start to hear the wind like they're like we're out of time we have to go and he's like okay but like we're just two bridges from my home like can't we just go there like I don't this is too much like this is too much and it's such a great moment again of character development like you just see him being like I left the setting to have an adventure and I found a tavern and I was like, I'm going with you. And now I understand what that involves. And I am having some second thoughts. Like, <laughs> this is a lot. This is a lot. Like, I made maybe... a huge mistake. I made a huge mistake. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Poor Loyal. But he keeps going. Like, he's like, you know, it's hard for you. You see how hard it is for him to to keep going forward with them but he also knows that like they need him like nobody else can read Mm -hmm. the guide markings nobody else can get them where they need to go like his part has become clear to all of them and like here we are we gotta go we gotta do it i mean Um, that's that's kind of what i love so much about the way each of these characters interact with what's going on as we see various shades of reluctancy and acceptance across all of them in a very like in a very real way it feels like you know where Mm -hmm. you get to see Rand who is reluctant but willing to do it Matt who is reluctant like and I we talked about this like a few episodes ago I think um and with Loyal just adds another layer of that onto it where it's like the choices you make matter and we'll get to see how that plays out and not a iconic hero kind of way but in yeah. a very real human slash ogier kind of way um which speaking of which there's this like really great human moment that happens in the ways that i like really like, like i love a lot because i love these like i said these moments where they they all feel very young and it's the four of them you know matt perrin rand and Egwene, kind of talking about talking to boys and talking to girls and like <laughs> the silliness of it which I really really like yeah you know they talk about men and and Rand kind of tries to assuage Egwene a little bit it was like no I don't know like I'm not I'm not interested and then Perrin of all people Perrin like yeah not like Aram yeah 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 that's so good that's so good and then Matt coming and it's like maybe you should talk about Elsa they're such teenagers. It's, it's just delightful. such like a nice like uh, like moment of respite from what comes after. Yeah, like all the like terrifying chasing, you know. Mm-hmm. And they know that there's like their own golem. Like there's another land is like there's somebody following us, but Moirin's like, well, he's not bothering us. Whoever it is is not bothering us right now. We don't have time to deal like, with it. Let's him. just go. We- Let's just go. We just got to keep going. And then the mansion shin kind of comes in and they're running yeah. and they they make it to the gate. And I love that moment of like, there's no key. And you're like, yeah. oh my God. And you're like so stressed for them and you're freaking out. And of course, Moiraine, like even though the power is subdued in the ways, manages to get the door open. And I love the moment where she backs out. 
Yes. From the ways where she comes Holding. out back first out of the bubble, like pointing her staff forward and pulling Aldi, Aldi by the, la- the reins. It's like the whole scene is just so good. It is. It's really, really good. It's really good. It's so creepy and so good. Oh, oh yeah. God. Like the listening to like what the voices are saying. It's, it like somehow manages it to take a step further than what you expected it to be. Like when they're like, we're going to plate the strips of skin. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, oh. So nasty. So nasty. And then, all right, so chapter 46, we got a mid-book map. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's like, what? Surprise. <laughs> Here's some more information. I actually, and I never do this, but I had this moment where I was trying to figure out like the geography and I actually compared this map and I flipped back to the beginning to be like all right let me try to like make sense of this in my head like are they north are they west like where the hell are they um which I never do it's a weird thing I don't like I like a map but I don't care about no the same map. like I I'm like oh that's nice it's a map and then I pay zero attention to it I don't know what it was about this moment that I had to double check but anyway so they're in the borderlands and they're um they get to Faldara and Lord Algomar, who is like such a stand up, like grizzled warrior and was like so courteous and is like, oh, my God, these like farm boys no, don't know how to. It's, I know. It's so good. You know what I like about our discussions is what? that you're very good at kind of giving us the run of what's happening in the plot. <laughs> And you are the close reading queen. I like to go great. like point by point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, but on this page. Yes. But you give All us right. you give us the grand context. Because there is again, I, I wanna mention on the first page of chapter forty six is when I noticed that this is something that he does a lot is land you know, they come in and they're like kind of acclimating and, and looking around and Lan answers Perrin when, or Lan answers Matt when Matt kind of is like, where, I don't know where we are, where are we? Right. And he says, we're in the borderlands. And in his hard, in his hard voice was a note that said home, comma, almost. And Jordan uses it, uses that kind of structure again later. um, And Rand notices it. But I love the use of the word almost there and of like, it, it gives us so much information about Lan in, like, that one sentence. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. And so when it's used again a little later when Angelmar is talking to them of mm-hmm. this, like, notion of almost is just so – it's just so good. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really good. And this chapter we get a ton of information about Lan. Like, we – know so much more after we start to hear like everybody's greeting him and being like buddy you're here like we're gonna go do the thing like now that you're here we'll go like beat the shit out of those trollocs like everything's gonna be great and he's like uh yeah except I'll I'll catch up with you later man like I got some other shit to do well yeah we get all this information but it's it starts with um kind of these clues right where yeah. he's giving us these like moments of like he's almost he's home almost mm-hmm. or they call him Daishan and I love yeah. this this kind of strange and interesting world or, or area that that Jordan builds here where the language feels like this bizarro mix of like 
I don't know, maybe Eastern European slash East Asian yep, in some yep. ways. You see, like, and there's some like samurai sort of undertones. I think, um, yeah. Although it's the, not, again, it's not like faithful to that. Uh, definitely but it's, not. It seems influenced by, at the very least. It's, um, it's very. I mean, it's very. It's very <laughs> like long time ago white man writing fantasy it's yeah like i'm just appropriative this. is the word we're thank you for. appropriative is the word i was looking for i'm gonna take this from this culture and i'm gonna take this from this culture and i'm gonna mash them together we're gonna see what happens and which is not to say that there's not like good ways to do that or like totally. respectful ways to do yes. that um but there are also some very casual sort of almost dismissive ways to do it, which I think we do see yep. some of. Perhaps here. we should, should be interrogated. <laughs> yeah, we should, we should note it. I mean, listen, this is what it means to be in conversation with a work, right? Yes. Like we, I think our love for this story is clear. And <laughs> I also think that that doesn't mean that we can't talk about the parts that fail us or the other readers and that are important to discuss. And like, we can have both. Like, we, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Exactly. And so we can recognize that it is this kind of uncomfortable yeah. space to be in as both a reader and, and people who are fans of the books. Um, but so we get a lot of information about yeah, We get Liam. a lot of information. A lot of information. But the, we also get kind of... Rand's impressions of what someone from the outside sees when they look at their party, which I liked yeah. a lot, right? Like, I love the moment where he realizes that Engelmar assumes that Nenev and Egwene are the ones who are going to battle with Moiraine and who are the yeah. important ones and who are the, you know, because of course, like, what are right. these three idiots? What do they have right. to offer? He keeps looking at them being like, listen, Moiraine Sedai, like, let me get you some better dudes. Like, these guys, they're, I'm sure they're lovely, but like, I I have men who will do a way better job protecting you than these three could ever do. And she's like, no, no, like, I need them to go with me. And he's like, I just really don't think you do. It's so, I mean, he clearly like doesn't get it. And it, it is like a little moment of, of levity actually. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like you said, like, it's very clear to somebody to, to Rand that like somebody, you know, in a different culture, in a different setting who has been like fighting this battle all his life has a very different take on who is important and like who is mm -hmm. doing the important fighting work like and how everybody's parts fit together and it and it speaks to what we talked about very early on with these kids who come from this teeny tiny village who are seeing the world for the first time and learning um that their perspective is not the most important one yeah and having yeah. to start to be able to put themselves in other people's shoes and and be able to see things from outside yeah. And why that's so important and why it's so important in being able to survive and having that skill to help you survive. Yeah. 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 So I love I love this section for a lot of reasons. Um, I love that peace is like a, both a curse and a blessing word. Like it's just like it's sort of an epithet that they that and that's how important it is to them. And it's actually talked about. Um, that this idea, like, they've never known it. And, like, it's all that they want. Um, and that's why it's so important. And uh, and then we get a, a return 
of a very important character who's been kind of like in and out of our of our reading experience throughout the book and and put on Peyton, however you want to say it, Fane. Yep. As this like disgusting, grimy, dark, worse than dark friend, as Moiraine says. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love I love also this moment because I think it felt like he was going to matter more in this book, but his journey was sort of pointless to an extent. In that, sure, he felt like I, I, I like Maureen telling us the story of what he was going through of these like, yeah. and of course it brings to vision like Gollum being tortured yes, and, and all of those things. Like it's clearly like, fantasy speaks to each other and and are influenced by a million things but he in this book and again this is the first book of like freaking 14 or whatever um his journey doesn't have the the meaning that i thought it was going to Mm-hmm. because he gets caught and then he tells all his secrets and then she does say you know he's holding back something I can tell he's holding back something but he found them and he he did the long con he spent years trying to figure out who it was and he figured out it was definitely someone in in their village right but it didn't matter and then so he tracked them but he couldn't follow all of them and he goes through all this despair only to get caught at the borderlands only right. only to end up imprisoned and at the the kind of mercy of Moiraine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Feels like a setup to me. Could be. Uh and then they go into the blight, right? Um well, they like oh, before we, that we we, we have to hear don't don't we get don't we get Lan's whole story before that? Well, yeah, uh, I think Agomar tells the yeah, story. Yeah, Agomar tells the story to, to, yeah, because it's while Moraine is questioning right. Fane. Uh, we get to hear kind of Lan's whole backstory of being the lost, uncrowned king of this kingdom that was eaten by the blight due mm-hmm. to jealousy and uh, anger and loss. And it's just like... This whole tale that is told of what could be an entire series on its own, right? Like this yep. entire thing where they're talking about like this like uh, these beloved brothers who have this kingdom and and how one was lost in a stupid bet and, and the anger that inspired and how it led to the fall of this kingdom. And Lan who was brought up to be the warrior and ended up like a warder and, and it's just so... It's so it's I love that it's like basically lore about one of our characters. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it feels very like I'm gonna say romantic, but I mean in the like yes. um in the classical, like canonical yes. romantic tradition. Like it's this, you know, sort of amazing story of love and betrayal, like you said, and you know, warriors and queens and good and evil and it's such a big story to be like it's just the, but it's his life. It's his background. It's where he comes from. It's what has made him who he is. Um, and yeah, it is a, like, it's a big, it's a big chunk of information that I do want sort of 
I like I do and I don't want the story. Like I'm like I want to think about it more. I don't need anybody to tell me more about it, but I like I like to think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um and then there is this moment where we get that almost coming back. This is what I was talking about when Moiraine is confirming where they, that moment of levity breaks a little bit when Almar is like, really, these guys? These? We're talking about the same, same guys? Right. And, you know, Moiraine says, the old blood of Manetherin is strong and pure in almost all these young men. And Rand notices almost all. Mm. Because that's the qualifying statement. And he's worried that Nenev has let loose that he was not born in two rivers. Yeah. But she shakes her head. She's like, no, I didn't say it. She didn't say it. She didn't say it. Oh, it's so good. All right. All right. So then they go into the blight. Yes. And it's very stressful. There are, like, enemies chasing them. There are giant worms. Like, everything is dying and weird. But it's so good to see everybody's reactions, right? Where it's, like, everyone's like the with the the weather getting like this damp heat which like Paul has someone who grew up in Florida like disgusting (laughs) um but I do like that that moment where Rand is noticing how everyone's reaction and like they're all miserable and then he says only Perrin still in his coat was breathing easily Perrin and the warder and you're like yeah (laughs) 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 also I do want to point out they have to, they talk about the mountains of doom, which yeah. doom, doom is like right. a, I don't know if this is where he took it, but it's a Hindi word, which oh. is just like a noise. It's like a bang or like a loud noise. The mountains of bang. I the love that. The mountains of like, the mountains of like cacophony. <laughs> I mean, sometimes appropriation backfires. I know. <laughs> I love that. That's great. So it, it, um, it made me laugh a little bit every time the Mountains of Doom showed up instead of Mount Doom. <laughs> right, right, right. Because that would be a different kind of appropriation. Um, and so, like, they're they're in the Blight, and there are, like you said, all these monsters and land keys being like, anything can kill you. Right. Look at this thing right. called a stick. That will mean you'll have to cut off your arm if it touches right. you. Um, but I love it because... The night they go for their first, when when Maureen puts up the bending, which I, I forgot how much I love the notion of bending, which yeah. they use pretty frequently, if I recall. Um, but there is this, like, very tangible fear that has been growing throughout the entire book. And when he realizes that everybody's gone and he gets pulled into the into the bending so he can see everyone again, there's this line where he's like, he was afraid to step back, afraid that they would all disappear again, and perhaps this time he would not be able to find them. And it, it's like all distilled into that sentence of his fear of isolation, his fear yeah. of like not being able to succeed in this thing, and it's all been building to that moment. And then eventually, as we see as the book goes on, it is he ends up having to fight in isolation and on yeah. his own. And it's just Ooh. so good. And right after that, I like specifically wrote down a page number for this one. We get this amazing, <gasps> sad, difficult moment <gasps> between Lan and Nynaeve All as overheard by Rand. Perspective. Right? You're like, what? Jordan, you couldn't have given me. Come on now. Ugh. No, but it Ugh. makes it so much better. It makes yeah. it so much better as a reader because we're not getting perspective here. We're right. only getting from an outsider's point of view and you still see how 
heartbreaking it is yeah and and how sad it is because even rand in his like kind of inability to 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 connect or, or understand some of these more intense emotions is able to see just how just sad this this is for both yeah. for both of them like there's so many so many moments but it's you know Nenave some women don't ask for land or gold just the man and Lan kind of in my least favorite trope of being like oh, I'm not good enough for you yeah like you don't get to decide that right you don't you don't get to decide whether or not you're good enough for for me yeah um, but it is this just like oh it's just so heart-wrenching yeah and they're being so it's like this moment of real talk like they've been clearly like their relationship has been very sort of unspoken up until now like they know they both know that they're having feelings and that the other one is having feelings but they haven't like talked about it yet really and even here when Nene says will you shame me to the point of asking you yeah and Lan answering I will never shame you (laughs) and to Rand again from Rand's perspective the gentle tone like a caress sounded odd to Rand's ears and the warder's voice yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I can't so, wait I can't to see even. Daniel Henney act this scene out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, if they do not give us this scene, I will be writing a very angry letter. <laughs> yes. I will be very upset. That would be brutal if we did not get that scene. Oh god. And so like and then it's literally we are like fifty pages from the end in chapter yeah. forty nine. And we still have everything to go yeah yeah right? we get it's... the green man who's amazing and so sad oh the poor green man i love the green man so much i know me and too Boyle's interactions with him and yes and it the green man kind of uh symbolizes exactly what moraine keeps saying in that like i love this line she says of our need is the hope of the world like it's it's the use of like like it'll happen because they need it. Right. And it's not because she's right and it's not because it's it's fate or whatever. It's just like we need this and it has to happen. And yeah. that there's a desperation there that I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And then the Forsaken show up. Well, first, okay, they go to see they find the eye of the world, right? They like go yeah. to look at it. And we get this whole story, which also, speaking of things that add complexity to this uh idea of the male eyes to die like that you know you get you understand that the male and female eyes to die working together were capable mm-hmm. of amazing things including like uh rendering the satan pure which is a thing that like is supposed to be impossible right like the touch of the dark one is on them, you know, they're Satan and they say it are and mm-hmm. Satan is the quote unquote male half and like it's, you know, it's forever tainted by the touch of the dark one. But like they were able to do to make it clean and pure and like they were able to do things together that nobody can do now. Right. Because it's just not possible without both halves of the of this of the whole. Um and it I think it really does help to complicate again this this binary mm-hmm. that's like you know it's not about good versus bad it's just about two halves of the same whole that yeah. have been 
like separated and the consequences of that are huge Mm -hmm. it's 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 a really interesting way to present this thing that we've been hearing about and talking about I did want to ask a question because I couldn't remember Mm. when they see the green man for the first time after this amazing and wonderful like tense battle scene with the worms and all of that and they and they have that immediate sense of like as Rand is about to give up end up in in where the green man is the Green Man kind of has all these things that he says as someone who is in and out of time, it feels like. Um, but is this the first time that someone vocalizes in front of everyone that and Rand about being the child of the dragon? Uh, in front of everyone. Yeah, in front of everyone. I think it might be because Rand has had several run-ins with people who mistake him for Aiel. Yeah. But he hasn't... I think you're right. I don't think... Unless there's a moment when they first all meet Loyal, I don't think so. And I don't think that moment... I don't think Loyal says anything about his mistake with Rand in front of the group. So I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, because I just... It's like the, the combination of, like, he doesn't really say anything about Matt, but he calls Perrin wolf brother, and he calls... Uh, ran the child of the dragon, which were two yeah. things that I love this notion of like all this is happening, but they're all too overwhelmed to see the like important things that are being said. Right. Right. And Rand is once again like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm Randolph Thor from Two Rivers. Like, I don't know. I'm a sheep herder. Like, I don't know any about this. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. And the poor green man is like, oh, I mean, I have forgotten some things. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, right. So, yeah. So then we get this whole, you know, uh, understanding about the Satan and the Sadar. And then the Forsaken show up oh. and are terrified. Oh, my God. The Forsaken are so scary. They're described so scarily, like with like the old, old, old Agnar or whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other one who has the like. Like the creepy mask The face. creepy Ugh. leather mask. And the. Oh, but I love how the green man deals with him and the imagery there of like all the like disgusting vines and stuff like breaking through him. And yes. there's that line where he's like, is it flesh? And you're like, ew. <laughs> oh, it's so foul. It is so foul. It's so foul. Um, and then and then Rand channels like and he, then. Well, wait, because wait. There is an important second, like this whole moment where Agonar is kind of explaining, it was like, we were closest to the edge. And he mentions, you know, we're not the only ones who got oh, out, right. which I love. That's right. um, and they're building and he kind of is like, there's no one coming to save you. Like no yeah. one is here to save you. And then I love this moment of like seeing how everyone reacts. So Lan has a moment of hesitation in which he's too far from both Moiraine and Nanae yeah. to be able to save both of them, but he has a slight moment of hesitation. And then the next thing that happens is, like, after he crashes through the wall, Nanae just fucking goes for it. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's smart, but I love that it's, like, Nanae and then Egwene immediately are like, yeah. uh-uh, no. Right. Like, we are dealing with this, and of course they can't. But And right. then from Rand is like, please, God, no, wait. Because Rand is hesitating. Like, you have yeah. these hesitations happening on behalf of these, like, quote, heroes or whatever. Right. And it's these these women who are running forward and trying to do the thing and not hesitating. And it's just, 
an interesting switch from a book at a time that was written with, you know, ideas about men and women in mind Mm -hmm. and this absurd gender binary. But, like, it is interesting from the perspective at the time in which this book was written, I think. Yeah. 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 And, like, you know, they don't have to be basically women with swords to be powerful. Right. They can, like, they have their own you know, silly conceptions about men versus women. They're not trying to be masculine. They are being 100% themselves. They care about, like, they notice curtains and, like, what Mm -hmm. that tells them about the people who lived in that house. And they, you know, they're just, like, they are themselves. They're actual people. And they're actual, like, fully complex beings who, like, aren't trying to be something they're not. Right. And, and, like, of course, they're stuck within Jordan's kind of idea of... Yes. Women and men and mm. and again this like which we will get into like the absurdity of that binary because yeah. gender is not that. But like you said, within, within that context, that. it's yeah. it's interesting. Within his yeah. it's interesting within the biases he brings to the table. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um oh. and it is very different from a lot of other things. Can we talk about can we talk about okay, so so Rand and Agnor are fighting. And there's this moment on page 758 where there's like a sudden all caps voice. Oh, in you Rand's mean where head. I underlined and, yeah. and, and drew a, a rectangle around it? Yes, we because, can talk about it. Like I said, I did not remember. I didn't remember any of this sequence, honestly. I did not remember any of this fight sequence. And I... I, like, obviously remembered that Rand is the one who can channel. Like, once you've read that, you're not going to forget it. Right. But, like, I, and I was trying to remember as I was reading, like, when did the penny drop for me? Like, had I guessed it already? Like, the clues are there. But had I guessed it before now? Or was I like, oh, shit, like, what's going on? And I don't know. I can't remember. Um, But I definitely don't remember who the fuck this all caps voice is. Is like, it? I don't want to say who I think it is because it's a spoiler. I don't don't think it, I don't, I don't think, I mean, to me, okay, I'll tell, I'll give you my, like, I really honestly don't remember what this is supposed to be. So to me, like, Rand is, he is shouting at Balsamon, like, he's, he's like sort of, you know, he's been transported, I think, to where this big battle is going on between the Shinar and the Trollocs and half men and he's like seeing this huge battle and he's seeing how outmatched the humans are and he's like defying Baalzaman and he's you know basically like he's basically trying to figure out like how do I this is like this can't be happening and then um and he calls on the light and then we get this all caps voice saying i will take no part only the chosen one can do what must be done if he will yeah and and it's like the chosen one like so to me if i'm reading this right which i don't think i am but like it's almost like the light is talking and it's like it's like uh it's kind of that idea of the disembodied forces of the universe like I don't act like other people have to act, you know, like I, it's up to people to do the good thing or to use the powers that they have. Like, I'm not going to rescue anybody, but I don't know. So, okay. It starts where he, he is trying to hold on to reality, right? Like he's trying to hold on to reality. 
And he says, it has to end. Yeah. And he's like beating the ground and he's freaking out and he's like in this like battle that's happening. And then everything stills. And he says, the light blinds you, Balsamon. This has to end. And something in his head says, it is not here. Is it in that sentence? It is referring to Balsamon? It is referring to the final battle? It is referring to... I think that matters in terms of trying to figure out who this is because it's... The, the I will take no part. Only the chosen one can do what must be done if he will. Right. And then he says where. He did not want to say it, but he could not stop himself. Where? And then the voice answers, not here. And then we get these, like, stair steps. But just, it's, I agree. It's, like, I don't think I'm right either about who I think it is. Yeah, it's super confusing. It's it, really confusing. It's very confusing because it is, who is the I? Who, yeah, who and will, what is the it? Like, what is the it? Who is the I? Like, I unclear. Yeah, super unclear. So then, then he comes face to face with the Elzema. He like takes some steps into nowhere and is face to face with the Elzema. But it is. But we have to make note that it is somewhere he remembers being right. A door well remembered. The chamber too was as he remembered. Oh yeah, right. You are, and then Balzaman says, "You are here, and I know you." Right. Right. Ooh. Ooh, it's so much it's but so it's much. so funny because this fight takes four seconds <laughs> like you got 760 pages to get here <laughs> and this fight's over in three not even like yeah. in two and a half pages you're right you're right you're right which is not even it doesn't even take that long right like yeah. the fight itself the actual physical fight part of it is maybe a page yeah with the the light sword and and breaking that black mm -hmm. rope or whatever and we see like but i do it comes back to again it's about the conversation of Rand saying there are other choices yeah right you know the wheel weaves the pattern not you you do not weave the pattern like you do not get to make this choice for me right right it's intense. It's, it's it's like a very intense two pages. <laughs> it is. It's an immensely intense two pages that even even though I reread this like an hour and a half ago, I still was like, yeah. this must be longer than two pages. <laughs> like everything that happens, it must have taken longer for us to get there than two pages. But like his mother shows up oh and my he God, has to like uh, brutal and like yeah. Egwene and Nave show up and like yep. oh god and like it becomes like everybody's like oh shit you can channel like you can channel like this is a problem like he we straight have up yeah he channels like he has a blade of light to yeah. go up against Baalzaman right. and he he cuts him down essentially which is amazing because Baalzaman still like, I love this moment where he says, it is ended. Which, again, it is ended. Is it is it the fight? Is it your right. power grab? Is it, like, what? He says, it is ended. And he strikes him down. And then I love the name of chapter 52 being, there is neither beginning nor end. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> that's, that's not good. Yeah, and he and so he reunites with the women. And but, they but, all but know. Oh, sorry. He, he does, but at first... 
we have to see him come back to himself. Mm. He is not himself, which I think is really important, right? It mm. takes him time to be like, like, I love the, like, I can think I means me. Right. And then he, oh, God, the idea of him, like, waking up in the, like, ash of Agonar is just disgusting. Yeah, so gross. It's like, right. Like, same. Yeah. <laughs> Stomach and heaving he, and twisting. Right. And he's telling himself what his name is, and he's, like, sort of trying to remember what has happened. And then he's like, uh, Egwene, that name is something important. Like, he doesn't, and then he, like, finds some women, and he's like, are you Egwene? Like, is this, who, like, it takes him a while to associate Mm -hmm. the thoughts in his head with with, the people with what is happening like he has to his mind has to remember that he is Rand because as we know like identity is going to be coming up again and again and again and and who you are and what that means what your brain saying means to who you are Um, I do think it's interesting how intensely again that Egwene is centered for him Mm -hmm. and what a strong because the only, like we talked about again, like a few episodes ago, the only lynchman in this, the only thing kind of giving us pause is that little sentence that Min said that she is not for you and you are not for her, not in the way you both want or think right. you want, right? Because everything else about this is like standard romance. Right. It's standard setting up. Like, these two, like, Egwene is the first person outside of himself, outside of his father that he thinks of and yeah. remembers. Yeah. Aw. Aw, buddy. I know. Buddy. It's so, it's so interesting. And then, of course, he has to, he realizes that he channeled. Yeah. And, and what that, like, I love him being like, no, I did it. I did it. I did. Oh, fuck. I did it. Right. Right. It's so it's rough man it's rough um so like we're dealing with all of that and then we're also dealing with this like they're all coming to terms with like oh shit like the forsaken got loose and like what that means and we're introduced to quendalar for the first time like the seals on the dark one's prison which are you know there's a broken one like the first one is broken and matt's like "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh this is bad news bears um but and, at the same time, like, all this information is coming out with all these important things. But Rand is struggling right. with this notion of, like, you are not going to take me. You are, I will not be a puppet. I will not also, be used. And also, he's like, but it's done. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's it's over. Like, I, I killed him. Like, he's 100% convinced that, that he, it's done. he did it. But Moraine yeah. has to remind him. I mean, this is what's so funny is, like, Moraine is like, he is the father of lies. like why are you listening to him like what what are you doing when rand is kind of railing against this Mm -hmm. notion of like i will not be taken as a tool but i do really love that exchange between them where he says i won't be used i am not a tool you can throw out on a midden heap when it's worn out and moiraine says a tool made for a purpose is not demeaned by being used for that purpose and you're like Mm -hmm. oh like that Mm -hmm. cuts so deep because Rand shouldn't be a tool but if the pattern has turned him into this tool and he has chosen to engage with it and to be this right like he he made active choices in his fight with Baalzaman right to get to a certain point and not saying that he wasn't like pushed in that direction or whatever yeah. but he did as as we've been told time and time again your choice matters yeah yeah 
Yeah, and then uh, she agrees to not tell anybody else, yeah. you know, that about who he is, and he's so, like, I mean, understandably, he's traumatized and freaked out, and, like, nobody can know, like, they're all gonna be afraid of me, and he will be alone. This is, like, his worst Yeah, this is the isolation. Now. Yeah, is this isolation, like, this thing that is gonna set him apart from everyone, and even though Egwene is like, you can still be my warder, like, it's okay, like, he knows it's not true, like, mm -hmm. this is gonna change his life forever and set him apart from everybody he loves and separate, and even if, like, even if it were true that he has defeated the Dark One, it still doesn't change the fact that now basically his life is ruined. Yes, because what are the options, as we've been right. told throughout the entire book, the options for men who can channel are right. you go mad or you get gentled. Like, yeah. those are your options. There is nothing else. Right. And and so you have Rand going through the struggle all the while, then they find the freaking Horn of Valer. Oh, God. <laughs> They find a broken a broken seal of the Dark One's yeah. prison, the Horn of Valer, and Luce Theron's banner. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh boy. All right. So clearly this is not done. Like, like the story is telling us very clearly, like, no matter what Rand believes, like, there is more there's to come. There's more like, to come. There's more coming. And then you yep. get this kind of, like, not really even wrap-up scene at the end, but, like all these open questions for like Perrin and Matt and yeah. all these characters, but you have Rand trying to like, I love his, his uh, interaction with Lan where Rand is like, Lan has not changed the way he interacts with me, even though he knows and he, yeah. he like appreciates it. And so at the end you see um, Rand trying to learn how to use his sword and, and he's come to the decision that he's going to leave by yeah. himself and, and not let his life, or the ruin of his life as he sees it affect the ones he loves. And, and he has this conversation with uh, Egwene who is like, can you not come with us? And he's like, I can't. And then you find out, of course, of, of course that Moiraine, who Rand is like, she isn't even looking at me. She's not talking right. to me, has been eavesdropping. And, mm -hmm. and this is playing into her plan in some way that we don't know what it is. And, of course, right. it ends with her saying, the dragon is reborn. And you're like, <gasps> ah! This is just the first freaking book. This is just the first book. <sighs> oh, like I know we've gone long here, but like there's so much. There's so much. I know. There's just, and there's like so much we didn't, I feel like didn't even get to in terms yeah. of like close reading shit, but mm -hmm. it's, it's such a good book. Yeah, it really It's just is. such a good book. Like there's so much that happens and there's so much it opens up to even so like so many more questions that will hopefully be answered as we continue like it's like what's gonna happen with all yeah. of our all of these right. characters like where are they gonna go how are they like when Matt and Perrin if they find out what what right Rand did what will it mean for their friendship and their closeness and like yeah oh my god it's a lot. It's so much. It's so much. I mean, we probably could have done a solid hour on those last three chapters alone. Seriously. Like, it would have been, it would have been very possible. There's, yeah, it's, whew. I know. I feel like I just ran a marathon. I know. And we, I mean, like, we didn't even really get, dig into deep, like, the conversation that Balzaman and Rand have, because that yeah. felt so full of meaning and potential foreshadowing and and yeah. all these things and and how the forsaken found them was because of Matt's dagger and oh you're just my like God, I know. oh it's, good lord there's, there's a lot there's a lot 
but we we have we're like an hour and a half in. We've got yeah, to end. We gotta stop. We've got to end this. <laughs> well, so yeah, so here we are. It's the end of book one. Um, we are gonna put together our schedule for the next book, and we'll post that on our Patreon so that y'all can read along with us that will be coming soon um and assuming we keep our schedule which we've been doing so good i feel we, good about uh, I we're feel doing good, good. we'll see i i got a lot of deadlines but this <laughs> month <laughs> but we can do it i think we'll do our best but we'll we'll let you know but in general you can keep an eye out for future episodes on the second and fourth wednesday of the month um and if you are looking for the conversations we're having those are generally under the hashtag Tar, Valen, or Bust. I just realized, though, that we're not... This episode is going to go up on January 6th, which is the first Wednesday of the month. So I think somewhere now we're going to end up being somehow the first and third Wednesdays of the month. It's every other Wednesday, basically. Ish, ish. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know how that happened other than... No. But... The new, I don't know, 2021, man. Well, we'll keep you posted. Either way, this episode goes up on the 6th. The next episode will go up two weeks from that, which is the 20th, I believe. Yeah. Um, but uh, for non-Patreon subscribers, somewhere in there we will be dropping also our interview with Brian Dunn. Uh, and speaking of Patreon, thank you to our Patreon supporters, Joshua S., Caitlin P., Nicholas E., Michelle S., Michelle D., Danae, Destination Toast, Kat, Jericho, Saber Bouquet, Thomas, Elizabeth, Emily, Evans, Ola, Yulia, Matthew, and Brian. Um, if you would like to give us a dollar, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash or bust. And uh, as we said, uh, big thanks are owed to Brian Dunn, both interviewer and our fellow Wheel of Time fan and musician. He created the amazing intro and outro tracks for this podcast. And you can find more of his work at BrianDunnMusic.net. That's Brian with a Y and Dunn with two N's. And if you are enjoying the show, please do leave a review and or rating on the podcast platform of your choice. It helps other folks to find the show, and we so appreciate it. And I guess now that we're done with the first book, if you all had particular things you liked about the way we discussed things or things you wished we spent more time on or, or, or whatever it is, like let us know. We're, we just kind of sit down and have a conversation, but if there is a... Uh, if there are specific things you want to see more of or things you want to see less of, I guess. You can let us know. You we can may let us know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, nicely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, and then uh, you can find us on social media, of course. Like, uh, not this podcast, which you can mostly only find on, on Patreon because, again, we don't want to do other social media accounts. Um, but I am at run with skizzers that's s-k-i-z-z-e-r-s on twitter instagram and tumblr which is where i'm at mostly um i have another podcast with Swapna krishna called desi geek girls where we talk about just the geek stuff we're into a lot of star wars um we'll be covering a lot of the disney plus mcu stuff that's coming out this month like wandavision etc uh and you can pre-order 
my books at preethichibber.com. So please do that if you, especially if you have kids, because they're all kids' books. They're amazing kids' books. They make excellent gifts. Uh, I have gifted many of them <laughs> to great results. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> they are so fun. Uh, that picture book about Yoda is just like an amazing gift for a Star Wars <laughs> Okay, I'll stop talking about how amazing Preeti is now. Um, you can find me also on social media. I am mostly on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. I've also just gotten back onto Tumblr. Lots of good Wheel of Time stuff over there. Um, and you can find me there as Jen IRL. And I podcast for Book Riot on Get Booked and SFF Yeah. And that's, uh, I think, we're a whole book in and we still don't have a close. I know, right? There's no close to this other than uh, we really like you guys. Thanks for listening. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, we will see you next time with our interview uh, with Brian Dunn and for the first 10 chapters of The Great Hunt. Bye. Bye.